Welcome to Let's Reinvent School with Ross Danis. Take your assigned seats and listen close as the next hour will have you rethinking the public education system while you listen to Ross and his guests share their expertise and experiences in the field. Class is in session. Here is your host, Ross Danis. Welcome, everyone. Welcome to Let's Reimagine School, the program that focuses not on what's wrong with our schools, but rather what's possible. Today's episode, are community schools in our future? Research has shown that community schools can be a local engagement strategy that creates and coordinates opportunities with its public school to accelerate student success. It serves as a vehicle for hyper-local decision-making that responds to the unique needs of each community. Today, we'll be exploring how community schools can effectively and efficiently utilize resources to advance the well-being of children and their families now and for future generations. To help us better understand community schools, their impact, and to get a better understanding of what it would take to bring the concept to life is our very special guest, founder of Charlotte Community Think Tank, community organizer, education advocate, Shmaye Hayes. You can find Shmaye's picture and bio on the Let's Reinvent School homepage and on Voice of America's Variety channel. Well, thank you, Shmaye. We're looking forward to learning more about this promising school model. Why don't we start with an explanation of what we mean when we say community schools? What are we talking about here? How are they different from a traditional public school? Take us to school. Sure. So thanks a lot for this opportunity to talk about community schools, which is something I'm extremely passionate about. Um, I really believe the community schools model is our competitive advantage to uh, to rebuilding excellence in public schools and particularly as it relates to um, children who are living in high poverty situations, also known as low socioeconomic status. Um, the key difference with the community schools model is that the governance of the school itself is the key. Um, with a community schools model, we actually seek to have our biggest asset in a community to be driven and led by the community. Um, and some people think, you know, this concept is, is very basic and common sense. Yet at the same time, from a systemic standpoint, it really is very innovative and it is uh, pretty much out of the box thinking. At one point in our history, um, even as African-Americans sought to get to become part of the mainstream educational system, we pretty much owned our schools. Uh, sometimes members of towns would come together and they would actually physically build the school. They would hire the teacher. Um, sometimes teachers and principals volunteered because education was just that important to us at the time. And somewhere along the lines, um, as we've progressed through here in America, our education system became uh, sort of disconnected from the communities, um, especially in communities where students are struggling the most. And so the biggest difference to me is the governance, um, who owns responsibility and who has true ownership for the outcomes. Of course, the, um, the school board and those folks have have um, have legitimate um, legitimate accountability, but when the community is strongly involved and there's heavy collaboration, the community also takes ownership in those results and will work towards um, positive results. There are so many more things I could say in this question, but I want us to get through um, some of the topics and some of the more specifics. I hope I answered the question there for you, Ross. You did. In fact, you 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 made me think um, this is somewhat different from what I imagine community schools to be. I think uh, when I think community school, I think, you know, a, a clinic, a medical center, um, options for parents to take courses in the evening, uh, open for athletics in the summer to the community. That community schools is a is a model. And I'm, I'm trying to separate it from the governance piece you talk about. Also, you know, it, it occurs to me that when you let communities create their own schools, similar to what we have in the country, we end up with bifurcated 
education systems. You know, math in Massachusetts is not the same as math in Mississippi. And that's because we don't have any, we don't have common core curriculum. We allow local states to, or, or at least states, not local municipalities, to determine their own curriculum. But I'll, I'll sort through that um, as we go. That's what these programs are all about. I'm learning too. Now, I do have a, a, a really ridiculous question with an obvious answer. But what's the difference between programs like communities in schools and community schools? Sure. So communities in schools um, focuses more on a certain population within a school. Um, they operate um, sort of a case management system. So just say you have a school of 800 pupils. Um, communities in schools might actually have a caseload of a, of a, a percentage of those students. Um, communities in schools has broadened their models to reach more students, and they even collaborate in some cases um, within a community schools model approach. The biggest difference is that the community schools model really does take every facet of the community where the school is immediately physically located and brings all of those resources into the school um, or all of the resources possible into the school according to what the entire school needs. And in, a, in what we call a full service community school, we actually have where there's this multi-generational approach where just uh, say as an, ex for an, ex as an example, there is a medical clinic um, in located, co-located in a school. Well, the agreement might be you can co-locate in our school. However, you also have to see every child here regardless of um, medical insurance or not and extend that out to family members. So you have that blanket of um, medical insurance where it wasn't existent before. And um, you have all of these, the services are just so much more elaborate, elaborate because you've got, um, you've, you're putting a person on simply making sure that every uh, resource that can possibly be wrapped around the school is wrapped around the school. So community schools model is a program and they do have some um, some case management, but it's, it typically is not nearly as comprehensive on the collaborative piece of it mm -hmm. or the services that are provided and the amount of services that can be brought into a school. Um, again, there are some communities in schools programs that act as a lead agency for um, the community schools model but that's not as common. I understand. So full service community schools are more aligned with what I was imagining, you know, medical clinics, programs for adults in the evening, let's say, you know, citizenship or um, GED programs for the community. Is that, is that in line with what you imagine the full service community school to do? Yes. Yeah, so I think it's important to, um, to really highlight here that, um, as we all have have um, observed education, as we really understand how education works, there are no sil real silver bullets here, um, quick fixes, overnight sensations. And so what this, the community schools model, when one is established, you'll see some immediate gains. You'll see um, marked improvement in the chronic absenteeism rate, as an mm. example you'll see um, where the school starts to improve on their disciplinary practices using um, more restorative justice practices as opposed to suspension. As the, as the school develops and these authentic relationships and partnerships become, to become uh, or that they grow, that is when you begin to embark on a full scale or a full service community school model. So an example of that would be um, the model that I like the most, which is the Cincinnati Public Schools. And um, what they did was they started in one school and they began to mobilize the community um, to, get, to uh, get a comprehensive assessment in terms of 
how the school could be an asset in that community. Um, they identified the leaders of those communities and invited them in um, for the governance of said school. And so what that did was it, it almost immediately gave the sense of ownership and also provided equity for that community because all of a sudden, rather than speak, people speaking for this community, they can now speak for themselves. And they can now, um, you know, say what supports are needed. Oftentimes, um, nonprofit organizations come into a school um, and the community hasn't really asked for those services. And quite honestly, sometimes those services are not even well coordinated. So you could have two or three service providers uh, sort of falling over each other and you need another service here that's more critical, such as a dental clinic or such as a medical clinic, or an expansion of um, services on mental health or behavioral health or those things. So I'm hoping that that's helping to connect the dots between the governance of the school, which is, which is a big part of it, um, but also that these full service community schools model evolve from that community-based governance in the first place. It's fascinating. Absolutely fascinating. In fact, you know, the more I think about it, it sounds like instead of reinventing the wheel, inventing the wheel is what it's all about. Because if you had a part in the creation of something, you're going to be committed to making sure that it's successful. So you own it. I love that. Um, you know, you know in, a, in a few moments, we're going to break for our first break. First of all, thank you, Shemaye. All very interesting. We are going to take a quick break to learn more about MECED, the Charlotte, North Carolina nonprofit that I lead that's focused on transforming the lives of young people who face obstacles. Now, if you'd like to learn more, visit us on the web at www.meched.org. And if you'd like to donate, feel free to do that as well. When we return, we're going to talk about equity and community schools and what combination of financing, political will, and community support would be required to successfully launch and sustain community schools. Don't go away. The best is yet to come. You're listening to Let's Reinvent School, the program that focuses not on what's wrong, but what's possible. We'll see you on the other side. So MECED is a college and career readiness uh, institution that is very committed to workforce development, has been for quite some time, with a special emphasis on making sure that the kids who face obstacles in our community have a fair shot at a bright future. Right now we're working with young people from uh, Garinger, from Harding University High, West Charlotte, and Chambers High School. Uh, before the pandemic, they were all on the bottom fifth of the economic ladder. These days, they, it's hard for them to even find that ladder. Then we provide job shadows, uh, paid internships. We'll put, pay for career clothing, transportation, food, certification programs. The goal is to make sure that every, every young person in Mecklenburg County has an opportunity to, to live a life where they can thrive, both in school and out of school. And we believe that that doesn't happen just by being in school, that school isn't enough that to be educated requires much more than school. Experiences matter. My experiences with MECED, uh, they put me in an internship at the hospital for two years. I think, I, th I do think MECED is invested in me um, living my dream. They want the best for each and every one of their students. And it's like they won't go down without a fight. <laughs> so MECED means opportunity. Family, friendship. I am a healthcare tech at Atrium Health University in the Maternity Center. Uh, career Pathways, we work with underserved high school students. We put them in internships at 135 different businesses and industries around Mecklenburg County. It's, it's a powerful economic mobility machine. The experience with Career Pathways, it made me more determined. That's how I got my job at Atrium, because I volunteered for four years at the hospital. So it made me get connections and and they said, I'll, I'll give you a call. 
With um, the students that we've had, the preparation that they had through Career Pathways was just exceptional. Honestly, I don't know what I would would do without Career Pathways. Like, I don't want to see it. Like, it's not. I don't know. Having someone to talk to and a shoulder to cry on, you know, different family. MECED's been around since 1991. We're here to serve young people in Mecklenburg County, and we're here uh, to make sure that they have the experiences, the knowledge, the skills that they are going to need to thrive in life. Young people spend only 20% of their time in school. 80% of their life is spent outside of school. And we want to make sure that we recognize that education doesn't just equal school. We learn in all different kinds of places and different ways. With after school, you're, you're hitting on academics, you're hitting on the things that they might not have during regular school. So like you have visual art, dance, theater, coding. They still get to do with their friends at school, with people who are just like them. Some of them don't even know they could dance. They didn't know, some of them don't know that they can draw. Um, so we try to bring those things out of them that they don't even know that they're capable of. But we've really enjoyed the support and appreciated the support from Charlotte Next and Mac Ed, not just in um, financial assistance, but also just giving us assistance and support along the way to get the programs up and running. Not every student has the opportunity to experience and, and participate in in-school or out-of-school activities. They have so many demands on themselves. And MECED opens that door to those students. Every student is different. And what MECED does a fabulous job of is meeting that student where they are. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. Welcome back from recess to Let's Reinvent School with Ross Danis. Got your thinking cap on today? We're going to teach you how to reinvent the public education system. Want to raise your hand and join us on the show? Call in to 866-472-5788. Now back to the show. Here again is Ross Danis. And we're back. And continuing our informative conversation about community schools with the founder of the Charlotte Community Think Tank and education advocate, Shemalye Haynes. Before we break, before the break, we were discussing the difference between community schools and other promising models. In this segment, we will explore the issues related to equity, specifically how community schools can dramatically increase equity, as well as what combination of financing, political will, community support, will be required to successfully launch and sustain community schools. Once again, we turn to Somalia to spotlight these issues. Where do we fit in terms of equity? Take us to school. Sure. So equity, um, largely, specifically as it relates to um, our local community, um, people seem to think it's this huge, enormous challenge that it'll take 30, a 30-something member panel to, um, to place a mark against. And the community schools model, because of the fact that you have this highly collaborative model, you have this governance structure where it allows uh, parents and families to be in the driver's seat in terms of making um, all sorts of decisions from um, hiring of their principal to what services are needed for families and what extension of services are needed you really have a source of built-in equity. Um, With that, the community schools model has a list of guiding principles that they operate from. There are seven of those. And the first one is actually to pursue equity. Um, for, For many of us, we don't understand how the lack of access in schools for parents and families creates a huge equity problem. Um, I have heard from parents on all, in all sorts of the um, affluent spectrum um, say, you know, I get this over here and then I get this over here. Um, and what it boils down to from a parental perspective is access to understanding 
your child's education in the first place, having access to this huge community asset, and really where the rubber makes the road is this governance process that says, we don't care if a parent is low income, we don't care if the parent can speak, if the parent speaks another language, we don't care about that parent's barriers. What we care about is that parent is a, is a direct connection and correlation to the school and that parent should be in the driver's seat to determine even if they cannot do it themselves, how it should be done and who, and, and giving them that sense of ownership and pride in the schools. Equity is something that we often say we pursue, but when it comes to breaking down the barriers that promote equity, this community schools model really pushes the envelope in terms of a paradigm shift, really. Um, many of our, many of our um, districts across the country and schools across the country who have accepted this model, many of them were doing the model out of pure desperation for change. And because the community itself began to demand action around equity. Um, we see these things here locally um, as test scores are coming out post-pandemic or somewhat post-pandemic. And we really need to look at equity in terms of who has access to their child's education and who doesn't have access to their child's education. Now, when it comes to financing, that's a different sort of um, thing. And we'll get into the financing of a community school. But really, on a very basic level, the low-lying fruit here, which is something that has to be um, has to be driven by the community and all of the powers that be, is that we need to give parents, families, and communities access to this major school asset. You know, and, speak, um, speaking of equity, you know, and as you know, uh, while the pandemic has impacted all communities, it certainly had a more devastating impact on communities of color. Uh, for many schools, returning to how they were designed prior to the pandemic will not address the full impact of COVID-19 on student morale, student social, emotional, physical, and mental health, academic needs, etc. In fact, many of our young people weren't doing that well before the pandemic. And so, you know, how can how can those community schools ensure that no child's opportunities are determined by their zip code, their family income, their race, ethnicity, disability status? That seems like a an enormous task. Sure. So one of the one of the principles um, that the community schools model um, sits on is the fact that community schools are much more sustainable over the long term. And the reason why is because the community schools model is not reliant upon the political ill wills of whomever in this sense. If you think about it, um, as African-American parents or um, communities in, in particular, the way we resisted, um, the way we resisted some of the inequity was that what we did was we invested heavily in our communities as far as education. And this model, although, you know, hundreds of years later or a long period of time later, is really pushing us and thrusting us back into that sort of um, that sort of approach that we're going to continue to fight for education funding, no doubt. We're going to continue to um, support teacher raises and all of the things that we know are right. Yet at the same time, as a community, we will not allow our students to continue to fail and allow people to say how much they're going to invest in our kids. Um, and so what happens is, um, this is, here's how the sustainability of it works. So the initial investment is having what we call either a community school model director or coordinator in a school. And her responsibility is to be, is to listen to the community's voice, to also provide, um, to uh, perform a comprehensive assessment and um, get, in, get active in a variety of um, activities that support the community schools model. 
her also her goal is to bring in community supports, both, you know, large, small, medium. So as an example, you might have where we realize that half of our children in a school can't see. Um, and so what we what we do is we may already have a partner identified, but we may decide with that partner who's doing excellence and service to our school already, but maybe they want to expand the services. So we identify a possible space in the school where that eye clinic can operate. And really we don't put any dollars towards, um, towards, the, existing, um, towards the existing space that eye doctor actually puts, puts his, re, his or her resources into the space, establishing a good service with the idea that you have a captive group of customers who are going to be there. You also have to work with the customers who do not have insurance, but you can consume, you can consume that cost without going broke. Um, and so the eye doctor wins because he gets to he gets to expand upon services and it's providing him a unique opportunity. The school wins because they have um, access now to eye clinics and eye doctors that allow children to see as they're learning. Um, I, Ross, did I answer that complete question? That was a lot of questions. and I want to make sure I get a part of everything. You're you're almost there. Uh, you know, in terms of the sustainability of these schools, you know, as you're speaking, I'm thinking, why aren't there more of these things around the country? Why don't, why don't we see them in our own community? Um, because it doesn't seem as onerous as sometimes we think, you know, if it's just a matter of core, if, it, if it's just a matter of coordinating and, and listening to people and having a governance structure that's sort of micro local, let's say, um, I don't see why it's not possible. So, well, yeah, go ahead. Well, yes, um, community schools, the community schools model has actually been around um, for at least 20 years. Um, The push as of today has been um, a number of things. Um, This model is supported by the National Association, the National Educators Association, the national, Mm -hmm. I believe the NEA. Mm -hmm. Um, It's also supported by the American Federation of Teachers and all of these groups who have who had kind of latched on to the model, saw successes, um, began producing reports um, in terms of evidence based research to say we know that this model works. They all came together and decided that this is the competitive advantage for public schools, especially to stave off the charter movement as it relates to Title I schools. And essentially what they're saying is, this model promotes a best practices for our children. And if we use and support this model to its full fidelity, then we're able to actually have a competitive advantage over anyone else entering into the public school market, saying that they can do better for our kids than the public school does. So there is, um, there is, if you will, there is a whole movement to bring community schools um, all over the country. Um, there is uh, some, some uh, localities have used ARPA funding to, to get it started. There's an expansion of ESSA funds available. There's also um, an expansion of federal monies that is available to districts uh, for this model because we know that it works. We have evidence-based research to support it. And also, let's face it, this to us in the community, to community organizers all over the country who understand education, we believe that, that this, is, this is it. This is what we all should be doing. And, and I look at it as a transformation in public, public schools all the way around. Um, in Cincinnati, what they did was they launched the community schools model district-wide with the understanding that each school would not be a community school out of the gate. But they put a policy in place to say that every school has the ability to be a community school. So what that took was they needed a, a lead agency 
involved. And there are a variety of them operating in different schools for that unique community. And that agency then hires the community school's director or the coordinator. And then that coordinator is the person who brings in all of the supports, does all of the assessment, does all of the organizing around the community schools model. And so essentially 10 years later, after that policy was um, put into place, they have about 66 schools there. And those 66 schools are all considered full service community schools. Question. So if, if a district opened a community school and said it was a magnet school, that's actually an oxymoron, right? I mean, if you were taking children from multiple schools and sending them across town to the school, it wouldn't be a community school because that raises all kinds of issues for me around race, right? And integration, because if the school is hyper-local, you're going to find it drawing on the communities that serves, which are largely, you know, single uh, race, ethnicity, socioeconomic status. How does, how does that work? Yes. So, um, I have seen um, a few examples of how it could work. The model that I think um, looks best, um, and I can't remember um, what area that, that, they, that this was supported, but what they did was as they established the governance structure, um, some people call it a local, local decision-making council, um, and for this call, we'll call it that. Um, the makeup of it still has to be um, made up of people from the immediate community. And they have definitions around that. And they have where everybody, all stakeholders are still, um, are still supported, yet the, com the immediate community members who live in that community still have the first say in terms of the lo local decision-making. And the students come from the local community? Yes, in some cases they do. In some cases, in some cases they don't. Um, you know, magnet schools work kind of differently. So in Charlotte, you, you may have a partial magnet where you have um, students who are, who are there and they're still, it's still a partial neighborhood school and then some kids come from other areas but the areas that they come from are fairly close. Mm -hmm. um, so it's still, you still get the amount of equity that you need out of the situation. Um, you just have to be very, um, you have to be very intentional in terms of how you establish your local decision-making committee. Gotcha. It's a lot. Are you hopeful that this is going to take off? You know, I'm, I'm very hopeful. Um, and, and here's why I don't want to sound bad here, but I think we're at a point of, of sheer desperation mm. to where, when we were willing to make up excuses about why we can't, why we're not. And those things, I think we're at a point where we can no longer make up excuses for our failures, for our children. I think that there's enough evidence based information about this model that could support um, conceptually bringing this model into um, local schools. And I also think, um, well, one of the reasons why we decided to start an all-out campaign to educate the community about this model is that I believe that if enough people understand about it, and begin to ask school board members questions about it, which they've all, which they that's already in motion, um, that their minds open up to it more. Um, I plan to definitely make this um, an election issue. Um, hopefully, we have some community schools by that time. But yes, I mean, I think we're at a place where we got to do something, and we got to do something meaningful. And we have to do something with innovation in mind. And we have to invest back into the community and allow our community to begin to use this major asset that's in every type of community you can think of. So it's a crisis as opportunity moment. You know, here exactly. we are, there's not many places to go, but up, frankly. Exactly. So, whew, 
Man, you've given us so much to think about. Again, thank you. Uh, thank you for not only educating us on the benefits of community schools, but for all you do in Charlotte, North Carolina, to help keep our young people successful, both in school and out of school. Now, when we return from our second and final break, we'll be joined by Jolyn Shields, a MECED Career Pathways Advisor serving students at Garinger High School, Ashton Glenn, a MECED Career Pathways Advisor serving students at Harding High School, and Paula Holmes, MECED Career Pathways Advisor at West Charlotte High School, all working on the ground in our schools and who understand not only the conditions that currently exist, but also what's possible. Jolyn, Paula, and Ashton, thank you for joining the conversation again to you, Shemaye, for staying with us. Right now, I invite you to listen and learn about the good work that MECED is doing in Charlotte, North Carolina. And if you're interested, and I hope so, visit us on the web at www.meched.org and consider a donation that will go directly to providing supportive services to young people who are facing obstacles that limit their access to opportunity. Thank you. We'll see you on the other side. So MECED is a college and career readiness uh, institution that is very committed to workforce development, has been for quite some time, with a special emphasis on making sure that the kids who face obstacles in our community have a fair shot at a bright future. Right now we're working with young people from uh, Garinger, from Harding University High, West Charlotte, and Chambers High School. Uh, before the pandemic, they were all on the bottom fifth of the economic ladder. These days, they, it's hard for them to even find that ladder. Then we provide job shadows, uh, paid internships. We'll put, pay for career clothing, transportation, food, certification programs. It's goal to make sure that every, every young person in Mecklenburg County has an opportunity to to live a life where they can thrive, both in school and out of school. And we believe that that doesn't happen just by being in school, that school isn't enough, that to be educated requires much more than school. Experiences matter. My experiences with MECED, uh, they put me in an internship at the hospital for two years. I think, I, th I do think MECED has invested in me. Um, living my dream. They want the best for each and every one of their students. And it's like they won't go down without a fight. <laughs> so, Mecca means opportunity. Family, friendship. I am a healthcare tech at Atrium Health University in the Maternity Center. Uh, Career Pathways, we work with underserved high school students. We put them in internships at 135 different businesses and industries around Mecklenburg County. It's, it's a powerful economic mobility machine. The experience with Career Pathways, it made me more determined. That's how I got my job at Atrium, because I volunteered for four years at the hospital. So it made me get connections, and, and they said, I'll, I'll give you a call. With um, the students that we've had, the preparation that they had, through Career Pathways was just exceptional. Honestly, I don't know what I would do without Career Pathways. Like, I don't want to see it. Like, it's not, I don't know. Having someone to talk to and a shoulder to cry on, you know. Different family. MECED's been around since 1991. We're here to serve young people in Mecklenburg County, and we're here uh, to make sure that they have the experiences, the knowledge, the skills that they are going to need to thrive in life. Young people spend only 20% of their time in school. 80% of their life is spent outside of school. And we want to make sure that we recognize that education doesn't just equal school. We learn in all different kinds of places and different ways. With after school, you're hitting on academics, you're hitting on the things that they might not have during regular school. So like, we have visual art, dance, theater, coding. They still get to do with their friends at school, with people who are just like them. Some of them don't even know they could dance. They didn't know, some of them don't know that they can draw. Um, so we try to bring those things out of them that they don't even know that they're capable of. But we've really enjoyed the support and appreciated the support from Charlotte Next and MacEd, not just in um, financial assistance, but also just giving us assistance and support along the way to get the programs up and running. Not every student has the opportunity to experience and, and participate in in-school or out-of-school activities. They have so many demands on themselves. 
And MECED opens that door to those students. Every student is different. And what MECED does a fabulous job of is meeting that student where they are. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Welcome back from recess to Let's Reinvent School with Ross Danis. Got your thinking cap on today? We're going to teach you how to reinvent the public education system. Want to raise your hand and join us on the show? Call in to 866-472-5788. Now back to the show. Here again is Ross Danis. And we're back with the final segment of today's Let's Reinvent School broadcast. Once again, Joel and Shields, Ashton Glenn. Paula Holmes. Also, to our listening audience, if you have a comment or simply would like to join the conversation, feel free to call us at 1-800-472-5188. So who would like to jump in first? What did you learn today? Thoughts, reactions? Hi, this is Joel and Shields. I can start off, um, and hopefully you don't mind me also asking a question, um, if, if, if at all possible. Yep. Um, I've learned a, a tremendous amount. Um, I've worked in a school that... Um, you know, by the definition presented here, has tried to become or transform into a community school, um, adding like a, a clinic that basically will work with any student. Um, it didn't get to the point before I left that it was able to assist all families um, in the community as well, but the idea was to get to that point. Um, but yeah, the, the, the model sounds amazing. I'm completely for it. Um, and I guess my question would be, um, what, you know, I know that trying to uh, reach out to politicians to make sure that this is uh, an important um, item on the ticket uh, or, or item uh, to, to attack in the, in the coming, coming years, um, I know that's vastly important, but I wonder how we get superintendents and districts and principals to really think about how um, to transform and adapt to models like this. I guess what would be the starting point? Mm-hmm. Well, the starting point, the starting point is now, actually. Um, So there are a few things that the um, Charlotte community think tank um, have been involved in. Uh, We've considered this, um, we've considered this a camp, an all out campaign, meaning we've engaged um, a variety of stakeholders. Um, This is one of the more public events that we've done. But literally, I call people, I say, hey, come learn about this model. Can you come to my house during lunch? And I'll do this PowerPoint and let's talk about this model. You ask me any questions. Um, I have answers to that. So there are, there's a multi-pronged approach going here. Um, I've been speaking heavily with members of the um, philanthropic communities to gauge um, what the likelihood is of um, helping us to, to bring forth these lead partners and lead agencies. I've contacted potential lead partners and agencies. Um, I have worked with um, members of the faith community to get them um, to understand what this model is and to ask them to walk along um, side me and support in the think tank. Um, there are so many people that I've engaged with over the last few months just to get people to understand about the model. The importance of starting with average everyday people and the community is that I would never want to go to the school board or anyone and propose something that the, uh, the vast majority of us who are at most active don't even understand in the first place. So Um, My goal here is to get the community to be able to say, oh, I know about that model and I support it. Oh, why do you support that model? Well, I like the social justice aspect of it or I like this aspect of it. And I think it has great potential. And when communities and other people can speak to something, it has a lot more power. And it also sends a message to our school board and the folks who make these decisions that if you make this decision, we as a community are in support of this. We're the voters. We're going to, um, 
you know, we're going to vote according to how well you produce solutions. And this is one of them for us. Now, there is um, a matter of policy that needs to take place in this. You can start a community school model prior to having said policy. Um, some schools have already started the model and then pressed the policy later saying, we started this, we're doing well, but in order to pursue a full service community school model, operating with full fidelity, we show we have results, now give us the policy to expand upon it. Um, specifically that policy is the local um, community governance council. Um, currently right now, in North Carolina, we have what's called school leadership teams, and that provides us really enough, the bare bones minimum to give the community the type of supports that we need to start a community school. But if we need to expand upon it a little bit in terms of the actual decision making um, that needs to take place and to give the community that proper footing. You know, at this so point in time, I'll just say that at this point in time, there's there's no reason money which should stand in the way. There's so much ARP money on the street that it should be a no-brainer. Exactly, exactly. And so um, I'm fully aware of that. I'm talking all around town saying, hey, you know, let's, what does it look like um, to become a lead partner in this? It's sort of, um, it's sort of very interesting because many of our organizations who work very closely already in the schools have trouble identifying how the community school model fits into their overall mission. And I always say that if you're in a school operating and you have a caseload of just say a quarter of the kids, um, this model fits your mission because you're already servicing children, you already understand the families and the dynamics of the school. Now it's just a matter of expanding upon your mission and stretching a little bit to say, you know, this is important enough and we can find resources to build upon this for the betterment of our children. Thank you. And thank you, Joel, for that great question. Ashton, Paula, any, any comments, any thoughts, reactions? I do. Um, Thank you for providing us the information about education on these because I truly did not understand the in-depthness of what community schools are. Um, and the concept that resonated most with me is the restorative actions, um, and which I think should be also implemented to kind of address the safety, safety and security issues that we're currently having and not just putting like book bags or other things, but the restorative act, um, actions can be something that can also be implemented to be helpful. But well, that's just my thought. Great. Great comment. Thank you. And yes, I have a question. Um, yes. Also, um, as you can see, the, uh, the landscape in Charlotte is definitely changing ever so often. Uh, lots of gentrification going on in different areas. And so I want to know, um, how, how do we keep, how do the people who are actually being served at these schools keep control of it, even when the communities are changing in themselves? Good question. Well, well, yes. So there is, there is something very important here. And, and I won't speak to a future state. I'll speak to the state that we're in now. I live in a community that is being gentrified on steroids. Okay. Um, and so we have a, a school here that is um, very low performing. And a few years ago, some of the folks newer in the community came and decided that this, that in order to bring their children to this school, it needed to have these things. So the superintendent at the time and the school board at the time complied to all of these different things that it would take for them to feel like this was a good school for their children. That was about, oh, five or six years ago and the school still is not a perfect match in terms of racial or social economic makeup of this community. The truth of the matter is, is that even in communities where it's highly gentrified, somewhat integrated in terms of the landscape, public um, African-American and Latinx children still reside in these schools. Um, and so when you put a governance system in place, that centers 
the, the children who are actually in the school and gives them agency to do what it is that we need to do um, as a community, then it still gives them the power in the school regardless of who's living in the neighborhood. Now, if said parents decide that this community schools model is working so well and they like it enough to come into the school, well, then at that point, they're a part of the school makeup. Um, and, you know, that's a future tense. But as of right now, despite neighborhood changes, it's not a true reflection of who we see in our public schools, especially the ones that struggle. Yeah, before, was, yeah right. Yeah, I was definitely concerned because, um, like I said, we do work here on the, in the ground. And um, I just wanted to understand and hope that if this model was to come about, that our, our students also had a voice in and saying of what would be going on. So thank you so much. Yeah. You're welcome. Yeah, before we wrap up today's program, which has been fascinating, by the way, uh, let's return to our special guest, Shemalye Haynes, for any last words or advice she might have. Sure. And so... Sure. So if I have um, a call to action, that would be contact your school board member in your district and also the at-large school board members to talk to them about exploring the community schools model. If you are, if you have a significant budget and you are already operating in a school, consider being a lead partner in school, in the community schools model. Um, if you are just an education nerd like myself and you want to join this train of people who is willing to teach the community about this model, um, please um, please go to our website, thinktankclt, thinktankclt.org, um, and click support uh, community schools. And we are happy to have you join this campaign and anyone else who's willing to hear us. Thank you, you so much for this opportunity. It well, thank so you. Appreciate it. Listen, thank you. We'll make sure that that information is up on the host um, site and available to people when they tune in at another time. So, man, you know, time has flown by. Um, once again, we thank you. We thank our guests, Shamalia Hayes, as well as our respondents, Joel and Shields, Ashton Glenn, Paula Holmes. We especially want to thank you, our listening audience, for the interest in considering with us what's possible. Please join us next Thursday, April 7th, same time, same channel, when we'll unpack the fastest growing educational initiative in the country, homeschooling. Now, within a week, this episode, along with others, will be available for download anywhere you get your podcasts. Please consider sharing the link with your constituents as well as your social media platforms. Until then, this is Ross Dannis representing MECED, Mecklenburg County, North Carolina's premier college and career readiness initiative. And you've been listening to Let's Reinvent School on Voice America's Variety Channel. Onward. We'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to Let's Reinvent School. Tune in next week as we give you some more great insight into the state of the public education system. Until next week, class dismissed.